Oh man, somebody ruined some perfectly good chocolate with orange and ginger. Yeah. That, Why would you that, do that? When they try and get cute with the chocolate, it can be upsetting. I mean, I've seen the orange and chocolate combo many times. Yeah, of course. Still not a fan. Even with those Toblerone oranges that you get to smash on a table. <laughs> but, yeah, I guess I guess the physicality of that overrides the... Orange. I mean, I just want to break that open and throw it at somebody. Be like, here, yeah. take this terrible chocolate. I'm going to unwrap this Hershey's dark chocolate individual tiny piece of candy instead of eating it. I always liked how those Toblerone oranges have the middle part. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. like a, it's like, here, now you can eat the detritus you would ordinarily throw away. Well, you already kind of, I guess the foil is the peel, so you're not really eating the foil, but... Or the peel of the orange. I remember people that used to do that. They would like bite into the orange and spit out the peel. Yeah, that like, is no, gross. That even thirty seconds of that gross taste in my mouth is too much. You know what? Uh, I've never gotten used to is like at bars where they just do like zest, lemon zest, or orange zest, or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. They're just like grabbing up the fruit and they're taking a little bit off of it, and then they put it back. And they repeat, and the fruit never really gets to fulfill its destiny. Yeah. What, what's the, what about the meat on the inside? You can't just... Yeah. Just throw it away. I feel like you need to use the rest of that fruit and then just zest with the peel. Like, why do you have the entire piece of fruit there to zest with? Yeah. There must be some sort of market that, like... So they grow oranges to make juice, There's, I'm told. <laughs> these are can't, zesting oranges. Can't the, the peels be preserved from the juicing process? There's so much waste in this world. Zesting oranges would probably be the worst oranges ever. Yeah. <laughs> They're bred specifically for the aroma, mm. the aromatics in their peel. We've, and then it's just like mush on the inside. Yeah, we've, we've managed to breed this orange so that the worst part of it that everybody hates is the best part <laughs> of this species of orange. Tremble in face of humanity's magnificence. What has your genetic engineering what wrought, I ask you? what i don't know can you just like make some santa gria or something with all those other fruits or margaritas i feel like there's just a lot of things you can do with alcohol and citrus that that turn out okay yeah and then you could just zest into that i don't know i mean it seems like they probably have their top scientists right now working on it so everything we've thought of they probably thought of and dismissed do you think that like the idea for zesting was so terrible that they gave it the name zest so it's like, hey, you got zest. It's the best parts of life. My life like is full a, of zest. Like a marketing? How about this shredded trash that nobody wants? Yeah. I would normally bury this in the ground, but I'm going to feed it to you instead. In tiny, tiny little pieces. So you can barely tell. When I'm baking something, for example, and the recipe calls for orange zest, I skip that step. <laughs> I don't think I've ever zested anything. Grotz, Grotz definitely has. She like sits there with a the knife and is like, yeah. <laughs> Wait, what do you 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 know you like that you can just use the other side of like the the narrow furrows on the other side of your 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 cheese shredder for that. Ah, maybe she has done that. I don't know. I try and stay out of the zesting sciences. <laughs> Some places men dare not tread. 
I'm just to be real for a second. I'm not opposed to zest. I do just think that the peel of most citrus sweets is gross. Yeah. And I'm glad they figured out a way to use it. That's some sort of, I don't know, Native American stereotypical yeah. stuff. Like we use all the parts of the lime, lemon, or or orange. But anyway, I sure did play some video games. Oh yeah, I I you were churning out reviews. Yeah, just happened that these things came close together. Uh, in summation, uh, Metal Gear Rising is really good. And Etrian Odyssey is really, really, really good. What did, What is that out on? Uh, Etrian Odyssey? Yeah. 3DS. Oh. They're all DS games. No. It is quite good. To the point where somebody, somebody on the Anime News Network forums, and this is not the worst slight that those forums have ever perpetrated, considering something I retweeted last night from Zach, had a guy being like, yeah, I mean... I think we've reached the point in the discussion where we can distinguish actual child porn from animated child porn. Now let me pose you this hypothetical. Say we were putting cameras in toilets. Why? There wouldn't be any violation because they wouldn't know. And I was just like, yep, anime fans, you are consistently excellent at proving (laughs) you are the worst human beings alive. (laughs) Yeah. I like, I'm sorry if that hurts don't... the feelings of people who like Akira. <laughs> uh, but we're in with a bad lot. Yeah. It's rough out there. That's why, you know, it's hard to self-identify as an anime fan. Yeah, it's hard out there for an anime pimp. Yeah. I'm not even an anime pimp. See, that guy is kind of like an anime pimp. Yeah, that's Because actually... pimps are not respectable <laughs> people. I don't think we should yeah. celebrate them. They're kind of dicks. Anywho. Yeah, they're pretty terrible. <laughs> it's one of the most reprehensible professions. I, when I read that, because I, I immediately searched out the link that you referenced, and uh, yeah, that was that was disappointing to read from another human being. Yeah. Just like, why don't you just, just go talk to an actual girl and listen to her and learn her perspective, and maybe you'll understand anything. I don't know. Just say these things in public. Like, say them not on the internet and see where that goes. <laughs> it's like, I just don't see the problem. I mean, let me be real for a second. I just want to see... They don't know. Don't you see? They don't know. How can what you don't know hurt you? If you block those memories out in the case of abuse, that's probably fine, too. Sort of like when, uh, yeah, I don't. This is probably too lofty uh, an analogy, but it's kind of like how Martin Luther King talked about uh, oppression and hatred. It it also debases the people in power. So the oppressor is debased by his uh, oppression of the weaker person. That's why it's wrong, guys. Yeah. You are equally soiled. Just because there's no like psychological damage done to the person who is in your fantasy world being violated, that doesn't mean it's okay because there's still something wrong with you. Yeah. And you're continuing to kind of make that wrongness solid. It's like, you know, I've got this knife wound. I'm just going to keep pushing that in, wiggling yeah. around, maybe catch a vital it. organ, nick an <laughs> artery. <laughs> so... so I, I offer that up as comparison with the guy who's basically just like, 
He's like, I read this, I downloaded the demo, transferred into an instant purchase. And then the final line of his post is, but an A plus, really? It's like, dude, you bought the, <laughs> you bought the game instantly. <laughs> an A plus, really? It's like, that's the thing. It's the craziest thing about the internet is not sufficient to agree with someone. You have to agree with them within a 1% margin of error or it doesn't count. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why you can't have arguments on the internet, Dave, because people just keep on finding new things to argue about. Yeah. <laughs> you're not, you're <laughs> never arguing about the same thing for more than two posts, so why it's bother? Not, it's not really even new things. It's just the granularity of the same thing. Like yeah. we, can, we can bring this down. But anyway, so Rising is really good, and Etrian Odyssey is defo the best one of those games. I'm not a person who, like, really cares about graphics a lot. Like, once graphics reach a certain level, I'm sort of like, okay, this is good, and I'm happy with it. This is the first Etrian Odyssey that had 3D models for the enemies. And so before, it was just little 2D pictures in the battle scenes. And that adds a lot to it, but what adds to it more is that they have these on-screen enemies that chase you around the dungeon called foes. And before, they were represented by these giant, basically, these giant yellow suns that would follow you around. Uh, and now they all have uh, distinct character models. So there's like a big angry bear and a robot and stuff like that. Uh, giant deer. There's actually one kind of cool dungeon where the, there's these two on-screen enemies. And usually the on-screen enemies are just unkillable for the level you are when you're first exploring the dungeon. So you go into this dungeon and there's just these like two little fawns that are just hopping around and you can kill them pretty easily, like surprisingly easily. But then when you do, their mom comes in and just fucks you up. Does that make you feel bad though? Well, yeah, that, that's kind of you killed her babies and now she's really upset about that. And did I'm, you need to do that? I'm going to drop in some pretty severe spoilers for <laughs> Etri and Odyssey 1. So skip like the next minute of the podcast. But the whole kind of point of the games is to make you feel bad. Because the original game, you essentially, you keep delving into this labyrinth, just going deeper and deeper. And you run into this uh, uh, indigenous people and you essentially commit genocide on them. They're living, they're living in a labyrinth? Yeah. Basically, there's one city left in the world, and every, there's just this labyrinth that goes down from there. And, you know, the, it's not like a Minotaur labyrinth, you know. Some of it's grass, or some of it's forest and stuff like that. It's not just all, like, stone walls. Um, it doesn't and make then any when you freaking get further sense. down from that, you discover that the, essentially the bottom layer, it's, there's, you know, there's post-game content and stuff. The bottom layer is Shinjuku. And you're living in a world that's several centuries removed from a cataclysm that destroyed the Earth. And oh. the guys in the labyrinth were trying to stop you from getting down there. To, like, you know, reenact this cataclysm. So, there is a certain thread that runs through these games that you're supposed to feel bad about what you're doing. <laughs> but, so, in this case, um, yeah, there's just a lot of... There are just these crazy mechanics in this game that really don't exist in video games anymore. And the examples I want to give are kind of like everything in the game, even the battles, are a puzzle. So there's, there's a boss in the middle of the game that's this giant flaming uh, lizard. 
And a salamander, I bet. Well, yeah, I mean, essentially. It's, it's kind of more, it's got like this sort of peacock fringe of scales. You've been going through this ice dungeon and you've been finding these giant burning scales that you have to destroy using these ice stakes that you pick up in the dungeon. And when you've destroyed these specific large ones, it freezes the dungeon and then the water turns to ice and you can walk over it. And you get to the boss and he, spa- he starts spawning these scales as ads during the fight. And I happen to have a dude that had an ice sword. So just in the course of attacking the, the scale, you attack it with an ice element and it extinguishes the scale. And you're like, oh, okay, I get what I'm supposed to do here. And so I'm fighting the boss, but eventually there's so many scales on the screen and I can't seem to find a way to kill them. Except I can extinguish them, but then they come back a couple turns later. Uh, And if you don't extinguish them, they do like an AoE. So there's just four of them on the screen and I can't extinguish them all fast enough and I die. So I go back to fight the boss again and I'm like, wait a minute. I've been using these ice scales to destroy, or I've been using the ice stakes to destroy the scales throughout the dungeon. So I'm just going to try using one in combat and see what happens. And sure enough, like it destroys the, the scale in combat and makes the battle like way easier and you're just suffused with this sense of satisfaction. That is awesome. Yeah, so, and that's just sort of how the game works. Like every dungeon is its own tiny little puzzle that you have to figure out. It's especially true in this one because usually the games are just in these big just a singular labyrinth that keeps going down and every few floors it changes its format. In this one, they have these small little one-off dungeons that are sent around a specific theme. Like there's one where all the walls are these giant columns of ice and when you get to the center, there's a, a brazier that you can light on fire and it melts all the ice, but that releases the foes from their ice tombs and then they chase you around and stuff like that. So it's just, it's sort of just suffuse with so much, uh, it's just so unique. Well, I don't even, what you're describing, and it does sound like it would be unique to play, but that's also how a lot of, like, the best adventure-style games work. Like, I'm thinking about, specifically, my memories of Ocarina of Time, where you would get this mechanic in the dungeon, and it wasn't just a way to, like, pass that, that specific obstacle. It would come back up, and you would have to apply what you learned in the dungeon about that object to this new situation. Yeah. So it's just, that's what's cool about it. And it, it takes the things that were cool about um, games like Wizardry mm. and it updates them for the 21st century and makes it a little less dumb. So that you feel like you're not being forced to suffer through things completely like this the entire game is in a slog and there are certainly ways to break it in fact even just by doing the side quest i was pretty much always i felt like i was above the level i ought to be in the dungeon so it, it actually started to feel a bit easy about midway through but uh yeah, there's there's just like a lot of nods to. Do you think it, game did it design. feel easy because you were just a higher level, or were you kind of just picking up on the logic of the game? Well, you, def- you definitely learn things, and you definitely start to figure out how to combine systems. Like, because yeah. I'm thinking about even just like simple iPhone games, like Flow or something. The the logic of the designer 
kind of becomes apparent as you play through it. So you're almost kind of picking up on this this conversation of sorts between what he wants you to do and how you how you learn it. Yeah, and that's that, that was a really cool thing I feel like about playing Fez is that you would hit these moments in the game, call them watershed moments, I guess, to abuse a cliche where a certain percentage of the world would just become apparent to you. Oh, yeah. Like, you kind of unlocked it? Yeah, like, you would unlock it in your mind and just be like, oh, this is how I progress through 15% of this game, and now I'm going to hop around all these different points that I remember how to do things in and solve these puzzles. And I feel this is the thing we talked about. uh, It was like on the Anime News Network podcast what, the last one we did where I was talking about Virtue's Last Reward, that visual novel, where like the space between knowing how to solve the puzzle and the actual solving of the puzzle is way too long in that game. Mm. But in a game like Fez, you do like this certain small amount of, of grunt work or brute force, and then just and then it's just like this the increasing tidal wave or avalanche of solutions coming one after another. Or in the case of Veteran Odyssey, like I realized how to use the ice stake, and then I use the ice stake. I don't have to go through like 10 menus being like, uh, and dialogue choices and stuff like that. I realize these are different sorts of game designs, but this is definitely what I prefer. Well, it's also kind of cool that they didn't just tell you, well, in, in one sense they did tell you yeah. to, how, how to use the ice stake and when it was to be applied, but it's kind of cool that it transcended the boundary between yeah, the uh, like the geography. Exploration. Yeah. The, the exploration portion and the actual boss fighting. Yeah, so that is a re- it's a really good game. Rising is also really good. I really liked it, and that is something that is available to you. It's true. It's on the Xbox, and so, so I'll have to get my hands on it. This is not a super huge deal, but it is kind of weird. Apparently, on the Xbox, when you cut dudes, those cuts are predetermined. Wait, what? I, I don't I don't know if it's uh because of processing power or something or maybe it was just developed primarily for the PS3. But like the PS3 cuts are like one to one. Like you slash a guy a certain way and that's how it cuts off. In the Xbox one, if you watch comparison videos, it's there there are certain axes on which a guy can be cut and it will just sort of round to those axes. Huh. I, I assume it's just because it was probably made first and foremost for the PlayStation. Yeah, and they had and to kind so, of figure out how to strap yeah. that into the Xbox version on the fly. I, I don't think that's the biggest loss. It is definitely a cool thing when you... <laughs> I, I, well, I guess the, the approximation of the PlayStation would come in by how many accesses the guy can be slashed across. Yeah. And frankly, I mean, that's a cool mechanic of the game, but I'm not going to get all up in arms because yeah, the gore isn't saying. properly calibrated to what I want. Like. It's, not, it's certainly not going to ruin the experience. But so, like, I'm actually kind of playing this game in spite of what I'm doing to these people. So <laughs> that, that is also, it, it definitely feels like that's the point of the game. And it's actually really funny because you have a combination of the Metal Gear Solid Kojima people and then the Platinum people, who are both pretty adept at making stories that are just completely unsubtle. Like the <laughs> least subtle games possible. So just halfway through the game, they're like, all right, don't you feel bad about this? 
And it's, <laughs> it's start poking a you? really cool, really satisfying moment. Um, but so the, the, the only thing where I could see it being sort of a, a little bit of a letdown is I certainly did this. And then I watched uh, Nick playing some streaming it. Mm-hmm. And when, when you are in situations where you're fighting like a giant robot or a helicopter and the game prompts you to go into blade mode and freeze time, you only really have to slash like one or two times to beat the boss. But I, you just slash like 500 times. Of course. Because why not? So this helicopter is in pieces smaller than your pinky by the end of it. You there's set Raid into like, Frappe. Yeah, there's all these just little slivers like flying off of it. So I wonder if... Maybe the Xbox version might kill some of that joy. Ah, whatever. It's all good. I'm still going to be able to like think about the point at which Cuisinart transitioned into a military contractor. Yeah. Well, in in the uh, it's the war economy, as Metal Gear Solid says, and we thought we were going to fix everything by getting rid of those patriots, and it turns out everything's pretty much the same. Oh, man, people are still evil? What? Yeah, pretty much. So that's the plot of Metal Gear Solid Rising. Or just Metal Gear Rising, I guess. Metal Gear Rising. Psych. Yeah, but that's that's really good and worth looking into. And it's got all that... It's kind of like... I mean, I don't really remember the sort of bonus content that Vanquish had. But it's very short and obviously made to be replayed many times. And it has unlockable costumes, one of which is a sombrero. Oh. And if, well, it's like a sombrero and a poncho. And. Oh, I was going to say, do you get a poncho too? Yes. (laughs) And it's like one of those black and gold ones, like they're really ornate. (laughs) And the absolute best part is that because this is a Metal Gear game, sneaking is still involved. And you can play it, you know, 60% stealthily. When you get into the box while wearing the sombrero costume, the sombrero is on top of the box. <laughs> they thought of everything. Yeah. A plus plus. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, that's the thing that... That's going to be the divide between me and a lot of people on the internet is that when I see a game that's like six or so hours long, I'm like, that's an okay length for a game. <laughs> Well, but I mean, I, I'm not really a fan of the whole idea that a game has to be X yeah. to be satisfying. Well, like, just play it. If you like it and it was good and you wish it was longer, that yeah. is, I mean, that's something to complain about. But if you play it and you like it and you don't find yourself completely dissatisfied by the experience, don't just say that it was only six hours long because you feel like that should detract from it. Well, if you want to reduce everything to, like, how much money you get for your dollar, you can always go play, like, or how much time you get for your dollar. You can always go play, like, Maple Story, Yeah, dude. Or something like that. Free-to-play MMO garbage. Yeah, or just, like, League of Legends totally yeah. broke me of that. The game is free, and I've played it for, like, thousands of hours. Like, I don't care anymore. I should also say that it, it certainly did not take me six hours to get through Metal Gear. I estimate more, like, eight to ten the primary, my primary calibration is that I played through most of it on a work day on a Saturday. <laughs> so that's about eight hours there with a little bit on either side. Yeah. On Friday and then Saturday night. And, man, that game is good. The people, there's, so I didn't really like the soundtrack. It's, it hinges a bit too close to this weird new metal for me. 
We God, and really new metal is so terrible. But if you if you like that form of music and you're listening to this podcast, stop listening. Yeah. So it's weird because it's not quite that. So I'm not going to dismiss it instantly, but there's definitely hints of it laced throughout. But there's one boss fight that I probably had to do like three or four times because I didn't have any med kits going into it. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, this is fucked. And you're fighting this dude. He's got a sword. You got a sword. You're fighting him in, in like the desert. There's nothing around but rocks. You're throwing each other into the rocks. And the song's going like, there will be blood. Death. And after like the third death, I started getting into it. I was like, yeah, I'm, I got to fuck this guy up. <laughs> this song is getting me so pumped. <laughs> in that case, it augmented your experience. Yeah, so I actually did start to like it. So maybe if I had died on more of the other bosses, I would have liked the music there too. I don't know. Maybe that would have just ruined the boss fight for you, though. I mean, there's always that alternative. Yeah. Like, it was completely unbearable to fight this boss for the fifth time because the music was so bad. The boss fights in this game are really cool. They all go through different phases. So you end up, like, in one, you're fighting in a refinery, and you're, like, jumping around on pipes, and then eventually stuff starts exploding, and then you're fighting in this ring of fire. There's one boss who, at times, basically splits himself into, like, a whole bunch of like little ham hocks basically like his body can divide into chunks so you can't slash him and you got to get him in the head <laughs> you can't slash him you were just talking about how you reduced a helicopter to splinters well this guy's really good at dividing at just the right time <laughs> <laughs> oh what anime character could essentially oh never mind that's gamma no i thought you were gonna say uh ray which by the way so i ended up not being able to review uh fifth north star ken's raids 2 for otaki usa because i couldn't i couldn't hit the deadline i didn't get the game in time but i sure did play a bunch of it before i knew i wasn't going to review it oh i'm sure that was time well spent it was awful why would you i guess you have to like you thought you were going to be reviewing it but come on I, yeah, I, I was not. Dynasty Warriors to go is in. a punchline on this podcast, and that is the most Dynasty Warriors game to come out since Dynasty Warriors. Well, the, the thing about it is that I recently played the One Piece Dynasty Warriors game, and if I'm using that as a benchmark, it is like eight thousand times better than the Fist of the North Star <laughs> one. I think that's primarily because most of the One Piece characters have a shitload of range and a shitload of AOE, and shockingly, Kenshiro does not. So, and the, the worst part about the, the Fizz of the North Star one is that in almost every enemy encounter, like a little bandit head pops up in the bottom right corner of the screen, and it's like zero out of 100 enemies killed. And you're just like, I gotta kill another fucking 100 guys. You can't just like zip to a, a cutaway of Ken just going, which are like dashing through a shadow, like the silhouettes of his enemies and them erupting into blood. Eventually, you get supers that will kill maybe like 15 guys at a time if you can do your AoE right. But Ken has got some just assy AoE. Like, it's like I, I came to relish the Toki stages because there's like an XXXYY combo that Toki has that, that shoots a like fist of, you know, the one that makes everybody like have an orgasm before they die. Yeah. <laughs> It shoots that out. Basically, 
like behind in front of him and then left and right and just it instant kills anybody it hits so i was like man these toki stages are going quick and then you'd like go back to kenshiro and i got as far as fits of the north star 2 before i realized i didn't have to play the game anymore so you're playing as uh i don't know they all call him bot he'll always be bart in my heart <laughs> So you're playing as him all grown up, and it's Bot, taking you like 20 minutes to kill like one dude. That's like, oh my god, this is so painful. So do you have to like progress with each character? So you'll you'll like level up Toki to a certain level, but then you'll have to go to the the Kenshiro, who is now three levels behind Toki. Well, no, the the level is just constant throughout, and okay. you just play as characters as they appear in the story. And sometimes you'll get a choice between Ken or uh, Ray or the girl with the yo-yos whose name I can't remember. <laughs> but I actually ended up choosing her a lot because she had pretty good AoE too. Um, I don't know. And it would not be nearly as bad if the production value of those games was not so shockingly low. Like if they didn't look like... The, the characters just looked like they were made for like a budget Walmart game. Like, all the cutscenes have these basically, like, plasticine models. Like, it basically looks like these action figures standing around talking. And frequently, it's just still shots, like, comic book panels, which is like, wow, you guys really pulled out all the stops. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed when that game wasn't cel-shaded. Like, just freaking Jack Ryan Radio, that thing. Yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, obviously, that game is a huge waste of time. No shocker there. But whatever. Yeah, I kind of played a similar game. I uh, I got Anarchy Reigns. Oh, I, was, I played Anarchy Reigns. Eh, it's not that bad. The boss encounters are kind of fun, but the camera is like ruinous half the time. Yeah. So it makes it kind of difficult to get into the combat. Yeah, I, I also just hate... I hate games that make you do bullshit to play the real game. So like sitting there and being like, oh, you just need this much more score. Before you can do the next part. Yeah. And I fully recognize that Anarchy Reigns is meant to be a multiplayer game. And that the single player was just stapled on. But, you know, if you're going to have it in there, at least try and do it right. Yeah, for some reason, uh, the single player campaign felt a lot like uh, playing Phantom Dust. I know we were just talking about that. but Yeah. That really, it really reminded me of that. It's like, this is kind of boring. But I keep playing it because I don't have anybody to play the multiplayer version with. Well, like, I don't even remember how Phantom Dust worked. I guess it must have been on Xbox Live, but I never had an Xbox Live subscription on, a, on the <laughs> yeah. Xbox. Yeah, well, it was internet enabled. You could, like, take your deck of skills and go fight people. Yeah. I was actually just, like, defining all the different modems to a coworker of mine yesterday. I was like, yeah, like the PS2 modem. And then the Dreamcast came with a modem, but it was only 56K. <laughs> That's right. I guess the PS2 had, like, a broadband adapter, it didn't, but the Dreamcast one was definitely, like, a modem. Like, you had to dial up from the Dreamcast. I think you could... There was a way to get the DSL through to yeah, it. Yeah, you, you, you could, could buy get, an adapter that was a broadband adapter. You could get adapter. a broadband adapter, but I don't think they ever put it out in America. I think you have to buy one from Europe or Asia. And I don't it just, know. And it just worked, because it was all the same hardware. I'm I'm pretty so every time I go home to my parents' house, I go into my room, which is like you know kind of similarly intact as how I left it. Like so, there's just a, like a 
a whole wall of anime boxes that they probably have to explain when people go in there. Uh, <laughs> and one of the, the things that, that still remains is the Dreamcast keyboard case. And every time I'm in there, I'm like, Dreamcast keyboard. And I open it up and I'm like, oh, it's not here. No typing of the dead. Again. <laughs> if only. It stares to stare longingly at it. Yeah. Don't you remember Don't you told go. me you loved me? <laughs> Typing of the dead. Oh, that gag is always running in my head. Yeah. Every time anybody mentions anything that's even slightly forlorn, that song yeah. starts playing. Oh. But anyway, I guess you want to try and do some emails? Yeah, why not? Like, like this guy. I'm going to mispronounce his name. I apologize for it. It's Ogan. Egan? It's E-O-G-H-A-N. E-O-G-H-A-N? I imagine this is some sort of original declination of Evan. I bet it's Yogan. Probably. So he says, this is from September of last year. Based on your past discussions of The Lord of the Rings, I can only assume you are about as excited for the Hobbit movies as I am. Uh, Recently, I think that Peter Jackson may have dropped the ball on some of his casting choices. Smog the Dragon is to be voiced by Benedict Cumberbatch, but my idea was to instead replace him with dialogue from Sean Connery as the Dragon and Dragonheart. <laughs> the idea was expanded to include all his dialogue from all Sean Connery movies. Any thoughts? Also, what are your thoughts on Arnie as Gandalf? See you at the party, Grima. <laughs> uh, I am fully in favor of the inclusion of Dragonheart, especially having now seen the first Hobbit movie. Yeah. What I mean... It couldn't be any worse. I am the last one. I'd be better if Smog just sat Bilbo down and was like, listen, winners go home and fuck the prom queen. Yeah. Uh, so he and, just he just says that. Yeah. Puts his, <laughs> just his any dialogue from anything. What the- is a samurai? <laughs> the men of Dale and their samurais. What are you talking about? Listen, I'm Egyptian. This is Highlander. <laughs> My name is Ramses. <laughs> Just keep mixing it up. Yeah. I don't know. That yeah, would we'll also see. save so much money. You would just have to buy the rights to Sean Connery's dialogue in that movie and in those movies and not have to pay a new actor. <laughs> All right. Uh, Yotaro Vegeta asks, combos, yes, please, or I don't give a hoot. Pardon my language. <laughs> what do you mean combos? Combos like for the snack food. Oh, uh, I don't know. I always feel like I buy combos because they look good when they're still in a box, and, and then, then I buy them and immediately, immediately regret having regret done regret it. it. Yeah, because <laughs> I would like combos better if the middle part was not made of chalk. <laughs> I don't know, like the combos. Like I was like the pizza ones, especially. I'm just like pizza pretzels. How could I go wrong? Yeah. And then you eat, like, one, you're like, no, this isn't so bad. And then you eat, like, ten, and you're like, I've made a horrible mistake. But then you keep eating the combos. The pretzel is, like, shale. Like, it comes (laughs) off in layers. Like, there's just these chunks, soft rock. Uh, uh, The cheddar combos are Gratz's, like, default road trip food. It's weird the things that you'll, like, you'll deny yourself this food that you don't actually like. And then you'll be like, only for special occasions, like on a road trip. And then you eat it, and you're like, oh, this is so good. Oh. 
I'm driving in a car, so I'm sitting down the whole time. So I got to, you know, I got to yeah. carbo load for this long trip. <laughs> I got to keep my energy levels up. All right. Uh, Quinn Kalsard says, have you ever had a food dish you've disliked for an irrational reason? Mine is pad thai because it's one of the things that always comes up when I mention the fact that I'm Thai. Oh, you're Thai? Man, I love Thai food, especially pad thai. Is it wrong of me to feel this way? Man, funk that. No way, dude. You're spot on. Pad Thai is like the worst Thai dish. Yeah, you should have got anything say, with green uh, curry. I hate Pad Thai for the same reason, because people always be coming up to me and saying, oh, you're Thai. I love Pad Thai. Also, <laughs> Pad Thai is like You're just mad because you're like, why do you think I'm Thai? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Uh, <laughs> Isn't it also true that, I mean, every time I've had it, it's been slightly sweet. And I'm not necessarily down well, with that. Maybe that's some of like sort of the peanut stuff. I don't know. I, I don't like a lot of Thai food. I When Graz orders it, I tend to go with Masaman curry, which is like the super peanutty curry with potatoes in it. The problem is that they make their... Thai curry is made with coconut milk, which is like all your saturated fat for your life. <laughs> so you're allowed to have like three bites of that curry. Uh... uh I also, the best Thai food, I'm sorry, I don't want to make this about, like, Thai food discussion when the dude's just like, I fucking hate when I tell people I'm Thai, and then they talk about Thai food for 40 minutes, but the best Thai food in my experience is, like, the little curry puffs. They make, like, little curry puff pastries. Oh, my favorite, anything with green curry on it, that's what I'm going with. Actually, so the last time we were in Philly, we went to a Vietnamese restaurant, and Mm. we... Was it Vietnam or Vientiane? Or sorry, not not a Vietnamese restaurant. Um, no. The the supermarket. Oh yeah, in yeah, South yeah. Philly, uh-huh. and we we stocked up on those uh, those like tiny cans of curry that are like basically calorie bombs. <laughs> it's like just add milk to fulfill your calorie requirements for the week, and so we we've made that a couple times, and they they cost like eighty cents each. And make like a whole thing of curry. Yeah, dude, so I know. That's I know good. exactly what you're talking about. Uh, Curly, who's actually, it's actually Transotaku who sometimes tweets at us. Uh, he's like thoughts on Resident Evil Six. I hear critics are slamming it, but it looks good to me. This is from October fourth of last year. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Resident Evil, I'm a fan of alternate costumes in games, i.e. Leon's gangsta costume in RE2, the many costumes in the PS1 Spider game. Do you too enjoy that extra level of reward, or has the current model of DLC for alternate costumes ruined it for you? Are there any costumes that have been your favorite? Maybe Heather's Magical Girl costume in Silent Hill 3. I think we just talked about the Sombrero costume in yeah, Metal Sombrero Gear Solid Rising, which is now the only <laughs> alternate costume. So... The two, my two favorite alternate costumes that immediately spring to mind are from Tales of Vesperia. Uh, the Judith can get a costume that makes her look like a red mage from Final Fantasy, which is pretty awesome. And uh, Estelle can like shed that like ridiculous, weird tulip skirt thing she has. Because there's one part in the game where you do a play and she is the prince. And she looks pretty badass in that one. So those, like, uh, immeasurably improved my Tales of Vesperia experience. But, like, yeah, Silent Hill 3 was weird because it had, like, 10,000 extra costumes, but they were pretty much all just T-shirts, and a lot of them were, like, T-shirts for gaming magazines. 
So that was really strange. But there was one that it was called the God of Lightning t-shirt. And when you wore it, it made your skin all scaly and I think gave you electrical effects and it was kind of badass. I think essentially it turned you into an electric Asian dragon. But, you know, also a teenage girl. <laughs> but yeah, alternate costumes are pretty much my favorite thing about video games. Uh, and this model of like having to buy them, which means I don't get them because I'm not going to buy something like that. Uh, it's, it's a real heartbreaker. Yeah. Like, like I remember, I, I remember the fond days of like Sambo where he would come over and sit on like Capcom versus SNK and make like color palette swaps for like every character. Be like, yo, check it out. I made Stone Guile. It's made out of stone. Or like, I made American Guile's red, white, and blue color scheme. <laughs> that was one of the cooler things about that game. Yeah, it's pretty neat. So I always, I always get, ex- I would always get excited when we would get together and play like Street Fighter Four, and I'd be like, "Ooh, every time somebody plays somebody, you get a new color palette." <laughs> Stuff like that. Excitement. Uh, I mean, this guy's next in the list. He doesn't really have much of a question, but he says, while perusing the internet, I stumbled upon the existence of the film Legend of the Devil. It apparently continues the legend of the giant tiger bisecting warrior, Shiranosuke Sakaki. I immediately recalled the show 361. Hey, tiger, what's up? (laughs) Were you guys aware this thing exists? Enjoy the podcast. Keep it up. So maybe that's something we can uh, look into. Yeah. Uh... Evan Minto mentions uh, making food when moving out on your own. There's a website called Supercook that lets you put it in what you have in your kitchen then use that to pull up recipes and using those ingredients. It's essentially a reverse cookbook. I just moved to an off-campus apartment for the first time and it's been immensely useful. Dude, that is really cool sounding. That's a pretty cool idea. (laughs) What me and Grotz usually do is just go on what the fuck should I have for dinner. I forget what it's called. What the fuck should I cook? dot com or something and (laughs) then you just keep refreshing and it's like make some fucking meatloaf and mashed potatoes and you just keep refreshing until you're like yeah all right (laughs) like that you could do that you could just say that to grotz yeah no (laughs) we just enter this echo chamber it's like on rare occasions we'll be streaming and then just decide we'll decide on dinner while on the stream and people will be like just make a fucking decision (laughs) like it's hard sometimes guys come on they know how that is everybody shouts that at everybody who's ever had to decide what's for dinner but we all go through the exact same uh sort of verbal somersaults to try to get somebody else to choose i ate dinner at one in the morning last night and it was two in the sandwiches (laughs) because uh you know i work until i worked until nine Mm -hmm. and i got home and Graz was out until like 11 30 and then i realized that i was starving to death like, because I was just like, oh, I didn't eat anything today, like, pretty much at all. And my whole body just shut down. And I was like, all right, tune, I'm going to my mouth. Put you in my tummy. Uh, Sean also says many reviewers seem not to be down with Resident Evil 6. Uh, I, for one, have been enjoying it immensely. Sure, there are problems, but you can suplex a zombie so hard his head explodes. And when you stand back up, your shoulder is totally clean. I think that's what make all fault null and void. Uh, who am I kidding? This won't be read for another two years. So in preparation for that, wow, that Resident Evil Six is looking awesome, Honka. Or Resident Evil Seven is looking awesome, Honka. <laughs> so that's cute. Uh, but 
you could suplex zombies in Resident Evil 4. So don't necessarily apply that credit to Resident Evil 6. Yeah, just because it's available doesn't mean you haven't seen it before and doesn't yeah. mean it covers all the other issues with that game. Yeah, which are many and varied. Uh, Hyotaro Vegeta says, What's your favorite representation of an American in anime? Uh, which, for my, for my dollar, it's the giant black dude in... Um, black he- Legend of Black yeah, Heaven. Yeah, Legend of Black Heaven. I would go with that. Who speaks with that weird... In the Japanese dub, they got essentially some guy who sounds like he's from Jersey. <laughs> hey, man, what the fuck's your problem? Yeah, you pretty much got it spot on. <laughs> I'm astonished by your memory. Hey, man, what the fuck's your problem? <laughs> oh, that like, was such at, a great moment in anime history. guy. And then it's funny because in the uh, American dub, I'm pretty sure it's Bo Billingsley, the dude who did uh, Jet and Cowboy Bebop, who actually is like a tall black man <laughs> so it's just funny to hear that contrast between the japanese and the american one um he also asks, have you ever been in the presence of or even eaten an orange pie i know people who have recipes of them and you can put any fruit you want into a pie but do you know anyone who likes orange pie i can i can almost guarantee that were i to have orange pie i would i would like it as long as you put some orange zest on there oh snap yeah that's funny that we were just we spent like 10 minutes at the top of the show talking about orange zest oh no shit here's uh jeff who remember we were talking about the crom the fast cromrody banner uh this is when he sent it in november 27th 2012 and that's why i don't remember it i guess because it was three months ago uh let's see if there's anything any new thoughts that might expand on the banner uh, I almost incorp- incorporated Snake James Earl Jones into the banner or his hairdo, but I couldn't find the right image. Sorry that reading Cromrody doesn't really roll off the tongue properly like when spoken. Yeah, but it is like a really satisfying. It, it in fact does roll off the tongue when you speak it. <laughs> uh, I really enjoy Fast Karate's podcast and they make me wish 24 was still on television. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, oh, he said he suggests a podcast battle and proposes using Big Trouble in Little China as the movie that would be the ideal option as prize for the winner, which I think has already come and gone. So it's funny to read these little time capsules. <laughs> oh, the things we've missed. Uh, John asks us to review Zone of the Enders 20, 2161 when we get the chance, which I feel like is probably like that OVA, which I guess we could do. Let me just see if... Uh, Maybe we actually did it. Sometimes that happens. Seems like no. Zone of the Enders. I remember that like 40 minute OVA being okay. I remember not even bothering watching that TV show for more than like four episodes. Because it was about like a space trucker dad and his family that found a giant death machine robot. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like weird. So, okay. Oh, oh, it's a space gun. (laughs) Aaron. Sends a picture of a cookie shaped like a dick with the word space gun written on it and a quarter for scale. <laughs> it's a pretty big <laughs> space gun. Now, I don't want to detract from this accomplishment, which is obviously quality. But in my opinion, a true space gun sort of just has 
the balls as a little oval at the bottom so it kind of looks like a handle. Because the trick of making a space gun is that it, you have to have plausible deniability that it could be something other than a penis. And this is just outright a penis. But I'm not going to hate. Yeah, I mean, where's, where's the subtlety? You know, we're looking for the cover of the Little Mermaid style stuff, not just in your face. Hey, look at this. Oh, man. Yatara Vegeta send, is sending a lot of emails, but I'm just going in a straight line back towards the present day right now. So I'm just going to keep reading them. Two Walking Dead related questions. Is Facebook the Walking Dead social game the real best game of 2012? Sure, probably. And the reason I read this, number two, is your favorite Walking Dead character, Lori's digestive corpse inside a zombie tummy. <laughs> Which uh, one of Grotz's friends was like, see, I'm, I'm not, I don't remember the actual joke, so I can't get in the execution. But essentially, spoilers for The Walking Dead, spoilers for episodes I have not even seen. But like, skip the next 30 seconds. The joke is that the baby that was in the annoying mom's tummy killed her. She died in childbirth. So the, the baby was now Grotz's friend's favorite female character on the show. <laughs> was the joke. Okay, everybody can start listening again now. Oh, that's rough stuff. Yeah. Well, it's a pretty bad show. Uh, Liam, Liam, Liam Neeson. All right. I guess if that's how you want to pronounce your, uh, present yourself on email. Asked when, when, when are the book club podcasts going to return? I know John is, John has recently moved and is busy, but I thought maybe one was getting recorded at some point recently. Uh, yeah, well, actually, they're talking about doing one next weekend. Okay, well, there you go. For Hardwired. Uh, he also asked if you could pick one game that you hate with all your might, one game that brings more tears to your eyes than grown men at the E3 reveal of the Zelda game, what would it be? a tough question the bouncer on ps2 yeah I, I guess i don't know i'm no fan of the bouncer but i just feel sort of inert towards it uh, my hatred for that knows no bounds the bouncer i never even owned a playstation bouncer. 2 and i played that game enough to just the hate bouncer. it well i remember i remember buying a ps2 and being like what video games exist for this console oh shit is my voice screwing up again no you sound all right all right, maybe it was just something weird. I don't know. It looked like the... The wave was going wonky. Yeah, but I guess maybe it's okay. I figured that might be a problem with the USB headset. But anyway, uh, let's see what Patrick says. Oh, shit. Well, so much for this. Uh, he said, I'm visiting New York February of this month, of this year. And I want to invite <laughs> you guys... February of this month. Uh, yeah, I want to invite you guys for beer. So... Sorry. <laughs> oh, he's, he's from Germany, too. Oh, that's really lame. Sorry, dude. <laughs> oh, man, you could have gotten free beer from a German dude. Yeah. Uh, Mitch asks, how do you feel about potato chips on a Sloppy Joe and or turkey sandwich? Keep them away, dude. Those things are delicious on their own. I'm willing to entertain the idea, but only as, as a curio. <laughs> it's not something I would do on a regular basis. Um... Kenny says, thanks for reading his message about 4chan and Corpse Party. Thanks for sending me it so I could just further tank my opinion of humanity. <laughs> I tend to think of myself as a pretty optimistic person. Uh, and he suggests something called Sexy Commando Gaiden Sugoi Masaru-san. It's got enough words to be good. Yeah. 
Uh, Nathan says I'm one of those Miracle Whip preferring freaks. Yeah. My dad got me hooked on it in an early age. Now it's my preferred white chemical spread for sandwiches and stuff. That's the problem is that mayo is not a chemical spread. <laughs> or in some, I mean, everything is a chemical well, spread. Well, yeah, if, if you define everything as a chemical. But mayo is just eggs and oil, ideally. <laughs> Whereas Miracle Whip, who knows? Yeah, but I mean, like, you probably shouldn't even eat mayo anyway. Yeah, that's, that's like true. A Mayo's, suspension of eggs and oil. It's one of the Just worst saying that sentence, you. like, if you... If we didn't call mayonnaise mayonnaise, I feel like that's a euphemism for what it is. Like the the construction of mayonnaise is so gross that we had to create another word because no one would eat it otherwise. <laughs> yeah, we used to just call it oil eggs. I think I rem- I I have I so when I used to work um, for the restaurant, I would get off really late at night and then not go to bed for like several hours. So and I didn't have cable, so the only thing on TV would be infomercials. So I remember watching one once for one of those, like, hand mixer things. And they were like, check it out. It makes your own mayonnaise. And they, like, <laughs> clunk a couple eggs into this really tall glass decanter. Uh, and then just start dumping oil in, like, glug, 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 glug. And I was like, what, what, what? <laughs> the veil was pulled back from your eyes. <laughs> Dark. He says, food question. Are black and tans, Guinness are, and harp or bass offensive to the iris because they may be my favorite beer drink? I pretty much know the answer, but it may be worth a laugh. Curiously anime-related anecdote with regards to that. I don't think, I don't know any reason why black and tans, which is the mixture of a porter and a lager, should be offensive to the Irish. But when Chris Orr took us out before like a New York anime fest, me and Graz, we hung out with a bunch of him and his anime people, and then most people went home, and then we went to another bar, which happened to be an Irish bar. Uh, and Grotz went up to the bar and was like, can I get three car bombs? Because it's one of the few like things with hard alcohol in it I will drink. And the bartender was like, we don't make those here. And she was like, oh, because it's incredibly offensive. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, you mean she wasn't just why not, pussy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> more legit food case. More legit food question. Dipping pastries in coffee, probably been covered before, but I really only recently discovered this, and I am thirty. <laughs> I mean, it seems to me that what? dipping baked goods into coffee is like seventy percent of the reason why coffee exists. <laughs> yes. How did you live to thirty without discovering that? Yeah. I mean, that, I don't go out of my way to drink coffee, but when I do, it's because I have a Tasty Cake coffee cake that needs eating. Or, yeah, I mean, it's just, you have a warm drink there and a, a dry baked good. Slam a donut in there <laughs> to see what happens. Get a cookie up in the mix. <laughs> I just feel like that's just a warm drink thing to do. Like, even if I have tea and some kind of cookie, I'm probably just going to dip that cookie in the tea. It's just going to happen. I'm not even going to think about it. Get some of those chess men, dip one of those in your tea. It'll turn out pretty good. It's like, you don't dip Oreos in Earl Grey? Well, I did. It was a warm <laughs> liquid beckoning yeah. the Oreo. The <laughs> siren song. Yes, it ruined that bite of the Oreo, <laughs> but I had to know. Uh, all right. Horror Daily says, you've expressed several times how when it comes to the length of a series, you prefer 12 to 26 episodes. I was wondering why the length was so different when it comes to anime. A 26-episode series is only about nine hours, which isn't even the length of a season of The Wire. 
Because uh, most anime becomes like you either have a tight twenty six episodes of good storytelling, or you have five hundred episodes of holy crap, why am I still watching this? Yeah, that's kind of the problem. Is that just the I feel like the quality of storytelling in anime usually is not enough to merit. Yeah, you just compared episodes. most anime to The Wire, yeah. dude. Go back it's and like, watch Eureka 7 and then well, think about what you've done. Yeah, now I'll say that, but I will also add the caveat that I've seen more than 500 episodes of One Piece now. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, One Piece is a show that surprisingly uh, maintains and even gains momentum in a lot of stuff. Like, the last arc we just finished was one of the best arcs in the show. However, we just got to this point where a bunch of time is skipped and I am dubious about whether I will continue watching it. <laughs> Why? What? They skipped time? Well, yeah. They, so it's like a five like years later. years later. Oh. And everybody comes back and they're, I've been talking about this on the forums, but their character designs are ruined. <laughs> like, I don't even know what happened. Like, I don't know who gave this guy the green lit to draw these characters like he ended up doing it. Like, it's just awful. Uh, every, almost everybody looks worse. And some people look so markedly worse that I am ashamed to still watch I just want to show. know, did they find that dude's treasure or not? No. <laughs> They're not even close. <laughs> like, it's okay. So they got... The, the way it's supposed to work is you go all the way around the world and then you find it. Probably. Maybe. So oh, you just to have to travel around the world? Yeah. They got to the halfway point around the world like a hundred episodes ago and then they were like wait a minute a side story <laughs> a side story appears it was a really good side story like it's one of the better arcs of the show where they have to go off and do this other thing but they've just gotten back to the point a hundred episodes later where they're like okay now we're ready to resume our journey oh my god dude i would not be able to sustain interest in that no i mean the, really the only reason we're watching it is because it is easily accessible and it's like something to just like cool down with and watch a couple episodes before you go to bed or like ha watch an episode while you eat dinner and the episodes are like 16 minutes long when you factor in recaps and opening theme songs they actually cut the ending theme song out at about like episode 300 something just so they could actually put more time in because I assume because the length of the episode was getting comically short. <laughs> so eventually there just isn't an ending song anymore. Like I've never seen that before. Why would they have to recap everything? I don't know. It's just they, I mean, presumably it's to save money. Oh, by just I see. Repeating animation. How could you, what animation wouldn't you be able to find if you had a like hundred episode long show? Yeah. Like, wouldn't nope. you just be able to call from, like, <laughs> I don't know. You would think. These All are right. the, I, my thing is, they're the worst pirates in the world. They should have found this treasure by now. Yeah, they probably should have. But, you know. We could have some post-treasure stories going on where somebody else is trying to get at that treasure. But those but, are never as interesting. So, Odai asks, uh, seeing as you guys frequent quite a few cons, I was wondering, have you, any of you guys ever gone to cons or done, done any panels outside the U.S.? That is no. And Negative. Probably wouldn't. For that to even be like in the realm of possibility, people would have to pay for it. And even then. Like I mean, if you off, paid for me to go to Europe, I would totes do that. Like you might be really disappointed in the quality of the panel, yeah, though. You're probably <laughs> not popular enough to actually have that happen as well. Uh, he also says, 
you're probably sick of this, but what do you think of the I'm not getting a full price game if it's five hour school of thinking? Well, we actually already sort of talked about that. Um, do you think there's some sort of inherent bias against shorter games? There's some sort of ideal length in regards to it. I'm still on the fence. wonder if I should buy it, but I'm on the edge of saying fuck it and buying the game just to spite them. Well, you should do that. He also says thanks for recommending 50 Cent Blood in the Sand. <laughs> which, You're you welcome, I guess. Like five to ten bucks, it is surprisingly competent. Like, the mechanics of the shooter are surprisingly Are you sure satisfying. you just weren't consistently tickled by the dialogue? Uh, that's, that's what, well, that's what, what my takeaway from it was. You just never got tired of him saying, yo, 50. Yeah, it's a surprisingly competent game that is also really funny. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, Har- Harrison says, Hey, Dave, how's that book of yours coming? I can imagine you'd be reluctant to go into detail. But I think a lot of us would like to hear about what it's been like writing it, how it came about, all that. Uh, it came about because I was like, fuck it, I can write a book. And it took me about a month to write a first draft. And I said, hey, that was pretty good. Uh, and then I spent the next year and a half writing more and more drafts and getting further and further dissatisfied with each one until it's a real slog. <laughs> um, but it's at, the, I know, so, oh, I don't know. I know that these things take a lot of time, but I'm at the point where, like, I really wish this was over, and I feel like I'm just taking a shovel and picking up the time and dumping it into this hole with my shovel that will never be filled. Uh, And so a couple months ago, I gave it to a friend of a friend who's a professional editor for um, Scholastic, and they were going to read it over for me. And then she got hit on the head with a crockpot and got a concussion. So that put a monkey wrench in things. Oh, no. Uh, so, I mean, that sucks. She's, she's fine, but she definitely sustained, like, a serious injury. And so in the downtime between that, it was only supposed to be about a month. And so about two months passed before she gets back on track. And by that point, I'm like, yeah, but I'm just going to change things. So just wait until I finish changing things because <laughs> that's just sort of how the process works. So I'm sort of right at the end of that and about to, again, submit it to this editor. Um, I mentioned Scholastic because it is a YA novel. It's about a high school girl who finds out she is a werewolf. And there are vampires. (laughs) It is called Harry Twilight. (laughs) The girl with the Hunger Games tattoo. Oh, that's the best facetious title of a book ever. Uh, Let's see. There's only two left. And by two left, I mean I started in the middle and went to the front. So there's actually about 40-something left. But we'll just do these two. Uh, So I'm confused. Okay. I don't know how to read this. Because there's a guy... There's a, he said, hi, this is Blood, Bloody Night 85, <laughs> introduced here by Kyle. I just had a terrible thought, Aldris. I just listened to your podcast titled, I hear Phil Collins' voice on the winds for the first time. I liked your show. Noticed that you were discussing PS3 games, Dead Space 3 to be exact, and wondered whether you guys hear about the PlayStation meeting that happened on 20th of February. You should have guessed that the play, PS4 has been announced. Would very much like to hear your thoughts about it. Um, I don't know. I'm really psyched for their price point. 
have they said anything about it? This is this guy's name is James. I guess he he was saying he was introduced to the show by his friend Kyle. Okay. Uh, have they said anything about the price, or you're just excited to know what it actually might be? No, I think that it's going to be much less expensive than the PS3 was at launch. I think it would have to be, but I mean, I I don't expect anything less than four hundred bucks. Yeah, I mean, I kind of hope that they go with a tiered option. Yeah, I think it would be if it, it would be cool if they had like some people are saying that it would be subsidized by an online subscription and. So I'm willing to buy into that model if it makes the console like $200 and then you have to pay for two years of service or whatever, like a phone. If they, they are like, here, it's $400 and you have to pay for two years of service. Like that is a different ball game. Because yeah. that doesn't feel like subsidizing. That just feels like you're, it's expensive enough that it feels like I'm buying a product and also being forced to subscribe. It's also kind of hard because this console generation has lasted for so long. I don't have like a really good idea of how much it should cost at this point. Yeah, because like the Xbox is. now only costs like two hundred and fifty bucks if you buy it new, and you're just like, what am I like? Yeah, I don't know. I think the the my purchase of one will be based on how available PC ports are in the near future. Yeah, because if if PC games. Unless there's, like, some really serious exclusive, which I am not immune to. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll Zombie you. Yeah, I mean, even for... I mean, really, I bought that thing because, like, I, I want to play Bayonetta 2, and of course it makes sense that I would buy it now when Bayonetta 2 doesn't even have a release date. I Look, I, I like video game consoles, and my rationale has always been, like, the waiting a year for the $100 price break, which I have literally never gotten. And as I've mentioned, like, on podcasts long, long ago, sometimes missed it by, like, the span of a month. Um, so waiting a year for that $100 price break, the calculation is just, am I going to get $100 worth of joy out of this in the next year? And the answer tends to be yes. So I just buy these things because I'm a grown-up and I can afford that. That's, like, the nice thing about being a grown-up and having a job is that you can spend money frivolously at times. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm also kind of... I'm on the fence about necessarily buying one uh, just because I feel like a lot of the the kind of games that I play now usually end up on the PC. Yeah. Uh, so I already have a computer that does a lot of other things that I want it to, and it's capable enough of playing those games without me needing to fork out a ton of money for a console. Yeah, so I, I can... I'm weighing that option the only thing that really concerns me is that character action games like bayonetta or metal gear rising don't often come to pc that's and true rpgs a lot of rpgs won't but well i mean that's starting to change a little bit yeah like the entire now. is library is being released in dribs and drabs on yeah. steam now so it's like who knows what the future holds for that yeah and I mean, Last Remnant came out for it, and I know I'm yeah. not supposed to buy that, but I really, I really want to. I like, as I, soon as you pointed that out, yeah. I was like, how could you? Well, so the dude Botoggle on Twitter was like, why not buy both? And I was like, is there seriously a reason to buy Last Remnant? <laughs> and he was like, do you like Saga games? Because that's the reason. Uh, and he was like, basically, your appreciation of Saga, saga games will influ influence you wildly in either direction. And I was like, so I know not to buy it. Because I have never understood those games. What is it? Well, I don't understand what Saga games means. They were so. Do, do you, there was like Final Fantasy Legend for the Game Boy, 
those I think were the original Saga games, but then ones came out for like PlayStation uh, and PlayStation 2 and stuff. Uh, let me try and look up some of the titles and see if that kickstarts your memory. It's like S A capital G A. So it's capital S A capital G A. Uh, Romancing Saga, Saga Frontier. Oh, Saga Frontier. Saga. So I guess it's probably made by, I guess, one of the more recent directors of that or something. So those games, they're all like basically really, they just, they all have incredibly idiosyncratic uh, gameplay mechanics that are really, really hard to grasp and <laughs> don't feel like there's a lot of reward to them, which is why I didn't like it. But they're all, they're, you know, I guess they're kind of weird and interesting, but I, I've never played one to completion or even close. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, our number one email. This is possibly the greatest Photoshop of the year. It's the lead designer for Devil May Cry reboot. He shaved his head between the game's release and the PS4 announcement. Someone made that out of the picture from the video. Allow me to send it to you via... Skype? Yeah. So you may bask in this as well. God damn it. Man, computers, just let me drag and drop from wherever I want. <laughs> Sick of this shit. It's nice that, like, Imager, like, if you just drag it onto the Imager website page. Yeah. It just uploads it, so at least that's cool. Uh, or does it? You can have this picture of Rage that I thought looked like Neil Patrick Harris to tide you over. Uh, yeah. You go reflect on that while I try and upload this. Uh, I'm I'm, oh, I'm just looking at the original before the Photoshop. No, that's like that's just a picture from Raids. I thought the dude looked like Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> <laughs> he does look like Neil Patrick Harris. All right, so that's the thing he sent us. All right, click. Oh, nice. Yeah, a little Cromar the action. Cromar delicious. So let's see how many emails are left now in the queue. Oof. Still 64. Not, we didn't clear as many as I'd hoped. <laughs> but well, I guess that'll do it for show 499, which means show 500 is coming up, which means maybe if I can sort out Valiant Denim, that'll happen, but I wouldn't count on it. Oh. It, it all hinges on Scabs, who has recently moved and has a new baby. Whatever. That means that he's at home with yeah. something that keeps him from doing anything else. I mean, it should only take 15 minutes, so I'm going to do my best. Because, <laughs> so I, I mean, I still need, like, to send you your lines. I still need Paul's. still need me and Grotz. That should be pretty easy. Uh, and then, like, some ancillary characters that I would have to find people to record for, which maybe could translate into something fun for the website. Just l little voices here and there. But anyway... So maybe that'll be show 500, and maybe next time we record it'll be show 499A <laughs> to give myself more of a buffer. <laughs> but anyway, that's emails. We got emails, yo. God, We're finally we really reading only them. read like 20 of them. <laughs> that is only one-fourth of the emails that I have starred. <laughs> it does not seem like that much. But anyway, shut this down. Word. Pray that my 
voice has not turned robotronic on this recording like 20 minutes ago. Fingers crossed. All right, pushing that stop button. Oh, wait, oh, shit. I guess we have to clap. Yeah. (laughs) Dave, no, what? All right, one, two, three. Yay. Huzzah. That would have been like an extra 20 seconds of work on my part. We've been pretty rough. All right, now I have to go like reverse some fiber links somewhere in a building that's difficult to get into on the weekend because I plugged them in in the wrong order. And I'm done. Made it. What the fuck? You got a fucking problem? Uh-huh. I'll pound the living shit out of you, you dumbass freaky tourist. I'll knock your fucking head off. You want more, huh? Say hi to people in Jersey for me.
I love you. Oh! 